It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 82, The Time Monster. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Kronos, arise! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Good evening. How'd that work for you, Paul? I can work with that. Kronos, you will obey me. You will obey me. Oh. (laughs) I noticed something about this story arc, um, and I don't know if you noticed it or not. What did you notice, Paul? Um, But I noticed a a large tone of girl power in in these episodes. Mm. Did you notice that? Yes, yes, I did. I did, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves I'm here. Just so, <laughs> so hey, everybody, uh, we're back. Uh, we're talking about another episode in our Master Story reviews. Obviously, we're still with the Third Doctor here, and we are talking about the Time Monster. We don't have any news this episode to go through. Nothing of note since the last time we recorded. So, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into the episode. Time Monster was written by Robert Sloman and Barry Letts, directed by Paul Bernard, and was originally released uh, from May 20th to June 24th, 1972. Uh, this was the season finale for season nine of Doctor Who, actually. So, that's kind of cool. <laughs> the little synopsis here is as follows. The Master, in the guise of Professor Thaskalus, has constructed at the Newton Institute in Wooten a device known as Tom Tit, that stands for Transmission of Matter Through Interstitial Time, to gain control over Kronos, a creature from outside time. The creature is summoned, but proves to be uncontrollable. The synopsis on the TARDIS wiki is a little awkward to say, but there you have it. <laughs> uh, 
Paul, can you give me a quick spoiler-free uh, rundown of your initial thoughts on this story? Um, yeah, my initial thoughts on this story. Uh, I honestly, I, I enjoyed this story um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, because uh, I always love it when they take a uh, either a legend or an actual historical fact and tie it in with Doctor Who lore to say that this is how it actually happened you know, in the, the TV show. I think that's really fun. Um, <laughs> another thing yeah. that I think um, was kind of cool is we got to see Delgado uh, basically doing something similar to what he was doing in the Daemons in this. Uh, he was really kind of, really just kind of uh, running on all 12 cylinders, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. And so I thought that was really, really, yeah. really fun. <laughs> now, that being said, yeah. This because be, be, <laughs> okay. Be, that being said, because of the themes that we get to see in this, uh, this would actually have been a really interesting story to have seen with Missy in it, uh, because of the 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 whole girl power theme that runs through this whole story arc. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll start digging into that here in a second. Uh, my quick opening thoughts on this. Um, I like this this story. It's not going to be one of my favorites, uh, but I've only seen it twice now, so um, that's not a lot for me. Because um, <laughs> it wasn't available until it hit BritBox, and I was finally able to watch it. So um, I like it. There, there's some por- parts in here where I'm going to be like, eh, and we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, it's a pretty it's a pretty good story. Uh, the master is at his most over-the-top best. Dastardly. Um, Roger Delgado <laughs> is, is yes, he's so dastardly, he's great, um, and just a bit unhinged in his over-the-top goodness. Uh, but, but, but Roger Delgado pulls off the over-the-top in a way that works, yeah. in a way that some of the other characters in the story <laughs> don't. Uh, so, <laughs> and I will I'll be more specific about that as we get to them. Uh, any other quick thoughts, Paul, before we start digging into the meat and potatoes of this episode? Mm, meat and potatoes. <laughs> That's what I had for dinner. Um, yeah, mm. let's just go ahead and jump mm-hmm. into this with both feet and see where it takes us. Spoilers. All right, so episode one starts with a nightmare. The Doctor is having a nightmare, and in this nightmare, he is seeing fire and earthquakes and explosions and the Master and a glowing crystal, and the Master is laughing, and he wakes up in a start, and Joe is like, um, are you all right? (laughs) The Doctor's like, no, it's the Master. We have to do something about it. And, of course, he calls on the Brigadier to be on the ready and to be on the lookout for the Master because he's coming. Well, how do you know this? I saw it in a dream. Really, Doctor? <laughs> the Brigadier is not impressed. Which, by the way, I love the fact that we get a unit back in this. Right. We, the last Master episode, we had the, the Navy. And I was so glad to see the Brigadier, <laughs> uh, Captain Yates, Sergeant Benton back. They, they're some of my favorite characters from the third Doctor era. So, Yeah. Um, I, I, something else that I thought was nice about the way they started this is that... Um, they, they're doing a, a little callback to something that you don't get to see as much of 
uh, with the doctor, and that is the fact that he does have some psychic ability. You know, uh, that's something that gets left out of the show mm -hmm. for long periods of time and then just kind of gets used in specific instances, uh, as opposed to the master where he uses it all the time, you know. Um, so I think that right. that's kind of nice to see that in the character, uh, you know, because we don't see that as frequently in the doctor. Yeah. Well, the doctor is all put off and in a huff because the brigadier doesn't seem to be doing anything about his dream. Um, and so he <laughs> starts constructing some sort of equipment to be able to track down the master while the brigadier takes Sergeant Benton, who is just about to leave uh, for a 48 hour furlough, a.k.a. his two days off. Um, <laughs> and they go to Wooten to uh, check out the Newton Institute where some sort of new experiment is about to be unveiled. Um, and the doctor was supposed to go to this, but now he's miffed at the brigadier and will not have anything to do with it. So I love the petty relationship between the doctor and the brig brigadier sometimes. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, that's something that I wish that we got to see a little bit more of in the new series uh, because uh, I really missed the Brigadier, you know, and, and Kate's nice. Kate, Kate's a mm -hmm. nice addition to the new series, but she's not the Brigadier, you know? No, no one can replace Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. <laughs> but uh, we cut to, the Newton Institute, where we find out that Professor Thaskalis, um, who is the professor who is putting on this experiment, is really the master. Yeah. And he's doing some sort of experiment with time. And he's created this machine called the Tomtit, uh, which, uh, as we said, is stands for Transmission of Matter Through Interstitial Time, which is kind of a silly name. And I think somebody makes fun of it at, at one point. Uh, so they even ad admit it's a silly name, but... Yeah, some of the acronyms uh, you that think we get in the show tit. in general, some of the acronyms we get in the show in general are just kind of, you know, not something that you would feel normal or natural saying in a daily setting. You know, it's just, you know. No. I mean, TARDIS is cool, but some of the <laughs> other stuff that we've gotten is just, you're kind of like, huh? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And Tom Tit is definitely one of those. Uh, that is something that I would never think to ever the, say ever in my life, <laughs> except in this setting, you know? <laughs> he, no, oh. not at all. <laughs> uh, the master, or excuse me, Professor Thaskalis, uh, <laughs> has uh, two people that are helping him with his, his experiments here. Um, we have Dr. Ruth Ingram and uh, Stuart Hyde. Stuart is the um, sort of assistant, assistant, and Dr. Ruth uh, Ingram is the, uh, you know, the expert that's on, you know, helping him out with this. Obviously, she's not as smart as the master believes, you know, he is. So, uh, which of course causes some friction between the two. Uh, she's trying to uh, throw her weight around as someone who is just as good as the uh, the gents here, and. Right. Um, doesn't take kindly to the the master's uh, dismissiveness of her and takes it personally rather than just that's just how the master treats everybody, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so here's the first part of, of that, that girl power that we were talking right? about. Right. Um, there's a lot of this. A lot of this here. Um, let's see here. Well, hold on. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just trying to figure out how to 
summarize this next bit. The doctor, uh, through discussion with Joe and uh, Captain Yates, uh, is and uh, the completion of his machine, discover that uh, he really should actually have gone to the demonstration of Tom Tit at the Newton Institute. And so um, he and Joe take off to follow the signal uh, in Bessie, which, of course, has super speed um, because they're obviously running very late. Uh, so they, they set off at, at super speed. Um, meanwhile, the master is preparing for the, the presentation, and Dr. Ingram and Stuart have decided to run a test of the machine, which the master deemed unnecessary, uh, without him. And so the machine goes off, the, tar, uh, the uh, doctor homes in on the signal and determines exactly that Wooten is where he's supposed to go. And the master, of course, freaks out because this is not this is happening too right. early, too soon. Now, I did um, like the fact that he goes in to shut it down. I did like the fact that he was so confident right. about his calculations and everything on this that he's like, we don't even need to run a test run. And she runs a test run without him. And in doing so, discovers a flaw in his calculations <laughs> because yes. of uh, the, the machine overpowering and. So I, I do think that, that that little, you know, smack uh, to the, the master's ego was just kind of fun to watch, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a little a little tiff that happens between Dr. Ingram and the master. And the master is forced to apologize, um, <laughs> not necessarily because he wants to, but because he needs their help to make sure that this thing works. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, which Stuart points out and he goes, yeah, you're kind of right. Uh, so, <laughs> oh! At least everybody knows where everybody stands in this situation. Oh! <laughs> now, as smart as as um, smart as the master is, he still doesn't feel like he's as smart as the doctor. You know? <laughs> no, no. Especially not not necessarily in you know matters of of technology right. and that sort of thing. So the doctor definitely seems to have the edge uh, in tech and well, gadgetry. The exception, the exception so, to that being with the TARDIS because the Master clearly knows more about TARDIS technology than the Doctor does. So, <laughs> Yes. That's true. Um, the, uh, the Brigadier and the government folks who are here to see the demonstration show up and the Master notices that uh, you know the unit jeeps coming up. Well, Stuart points out the unit jeeps arriving, and the master has to do something in order to make sure he's not what? recognized. You know? <laughs> he's like, what? I didn't expect this. You know, <laughs> right? I didn't expect this. Well, you should have. Um, it's weird technology. Of course, the unit is supposed oh, to wow. look into it. It's supposed to show up. Oh. Um, so he shows up to the demonstration in a radiation suit with his features all hidden and nobody can see him. Um, right. <laughs> but of course, the Tom Tit is not really supposed to do what he says it's supposed to do. <laughs> and so as the doctor arrives, he launches the demonstration and cries out, Come, Kronos, come! <laughs> and like he's summoning something from the beyond, which he kind of is. And uh, the machine starts going haywire in a way that Dr. Ingram and Stewart right. have no idea what's going this on. This is almost... And so that's how the first episode this ends. This is almost identical 
to the daemons in that he's conjuring something up from you know uh from the depths basically and and it, it he plays it off the right. same way even though it's not like a religious type of ceremony or whatever he still plays it up the same way and it's so fun to watch <laughs> yeah yeah the the funny thing though is as the doctor and joe uh drive up and park this the tom tit is operating in a way that's disrupting time enough that everything around um, seems to freeze. Right. Except for the Time Lords, because they, they're creatures of time, in a sense. Um, and so the Doctor has to run in and uh, to the laboratory, and you know, basically, since the, the laboratory is at the eye of this, this time storm, if you will, uh, they're not affected by the... Uh, well... The time radiation, if you will, and I'm, I'm, the doctor and is slightly doctor has slowed them. down, but not enough to really matter, you know. Right, right. Uh, but he orders Doctor Ingram to reverse the polarity and cut the power <laughs> um, in order to turn off the machine because she can't get a hold of it. Uh, oh, reverse the polarity. Um, oh, that's I the third it. Doctor's thing: reversing so the polarity on everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> They go to help Stu because basically what this machine is supposed to do is supposed to it works as a teleportation essentially, you know, uh, Tom Tit transmission of matter through interstitial time. It is supposed to take things from one place and put it in another by moving it through the space between now and now, as Benton right? so <laughs> succinctly put it. Um, Benton seemed to be the only one that actually got it, you know, and, and everybody else is kind right. of looking at him right. like, really, you're the one that got it, you know. <laughs> Really? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Captain. Thank you, Sergeant Benton. Um, so, uh, so Stuart is in the the receiving area where this matter is supposed to be sent to, and he gets zapped by the excess radiation, and time speed his personal time speeds up so that he's now uh, eighty years old, yeah, instead of twenty five. See, I thought this was kind of uh, a nice little touch because the old age makeup and stuff that they did was was pretty well done. You know, it wasn't cheesy looking. And so I thought that that was a nice kind of little thing to throw in there, you know. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, time has been disrupted enough um, here so that, you know, things are starting to work for the master, but it's not, it didn't work fully. And so he's scurried off to hide until he can get back to using the machine <laughs> again um, while the doctor uh, interrogates Stuart about what he saw and Stuart you know manages to stutter out Kronos um, in order to you know give the doctor an idea of what's going on and <laughs> the master uh, has forced the brigadier to take complete control over the Newton Institute and wants an immediate evacuation by three o'clock and it's just after two. So, um, <laughs> I love it. I, I love the Brigadier so much. He's one of my absolute favorites. So anyway, um, that was one of his, that was one of my favorite scenes of his, uh, in this story, uh, when he's telling the, the now disgraced director of the Institute who was taken in by the master, all taken in slash hypnotized by the master, uh, that he needed a full evacuation of the Institute by three o'clock. Uh, but we have experiments, things that are, you know, need to be, you know, put away and all this stuff. By three o'clock, 
you better get on it. You know, he's, <laughs> he's not budging on his on his timeline of the evacuation. Everyone needs to be out. You're going to do it. It's going to happen. You might as well ex- you might as well accept it. You know. <laughs> right. Oh. So the doctor manages to finally start explaining what all is going on. This crystal um, that is generating power for this machine um, is connected to what he calls the chronovores, uh, which are time eaters. And Kronos is the most fearsome chronovore of the lot. Um, the crystal is an original crystal from the city of Atlantis, which summoned Kronos a long time ago. Um, we then get a quick glimpse at ancient Atlantis where Kronos uh, begins to stir, and the high priest of Kronos uh, begins to uh, begin the ritual to bring Kronos back. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so not only are we getting modern time, but we're getting ancient Atlantis, too. What did you think about See, that when you I really, saw that we were going to be I really that? liked the fact that they chose to do this with Atlantis I because this is you know Atlantis is one of those things that uh, it's just got so many possibilities in uh, the lore and the you mm-hmm. know and everything that, that comes with it you know with the, the Minotaur and and all of that you know because there's just all these Greek led or yeah Greek legends and whatnot you know um, and and so mm-hmm. I really I, I like the fact that we got to uh, just kind of experiment with that in this, in this story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, although this is about the third or fourth doctor who story that deals with Atlantis. So, um, and they're not always consistent. So <laughs> with each other, so we'll, I'm not sure what that says, hmm. um, or if anyone's tried to reconcile them all, but I just had to point that out. Okay. Where um, does it stand as far as, in the number of, uh, or in the chronology of the show, as far as, uh, is this the first time that it hit, or is this like the second or third, or? No, um, no, there's, um, I believe it's, co- no, not the Underwater Menace. Is it the Underwater Menace? Yes, it is the Underwater Menace. Is a second Doctor story, okay. uh, which deals with um, Atlantis. They go to Atlantis, um, and there's a, an uprising of the fish people, you know, against the Atlantean slave masters uh, that the doctor um, helps to instigate. So you're saying it sounds like uh, a combination of the story we discussed on our last episode with this story. <laughs> yeah, except the fish people are basically wearing uh, <clears throat> oh, ridiculous costumes, like even more ridiculous than... <laughs> Uh, than the sea devils. You can um, get more ridiculous. And when than I say the sea fish devils? people, I mean <laughs> yes. And when I say fish people, I mean people that are wearing costumes that are supposed to look like scales with fins stuck on them, and goggles, and like the scale spots all over them, and like it's um, okay. really. I'm gonna ridiculous have to go looking. back. I'm gonna have to go back and watch this now. I'm gonna have to find this and watch it. Um, because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to. It's called the, yeah, it's called the underwater menace. Just Google a picture of uh, underwater menace, fi- underwater menace fish people, and you will be a gog. Do the um, do the Atlanteans even look the same in that as they do in this, or is it completely different? No, no, it's different. There's a different style to their their clothing and everything. Um, 
the the Atlanteans there are are definitely a bit more modern looking um, in, in terms of like you know hairstyles and things like mm. that. Whereas in this one, we are basically taking Greek um, art and making right. people look like it. I mean, I, I uh, guess it so, could take place in different time periods, but you know. Uh, then Atlantis has been destroyed and resurrected about 15 different times. Um, <laughs> I, I'm slight exaggeration there, but because Atlantis die, you know, sinks in the second Doctor story, if I recall correctly, um, or at least part of it, maybe not the full city, but at least part of it gets flooded at the end. So it's been a while since I've watched that, so I don't remember exactly. Wow. Uh, that was one that has two missing episodes, so it's half animated. So okay. um, it's probably not on BritBox quite yet. Well... Yeah, um, there's a lot of Second Doctor stuff that's not on there yet. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Second Doctor stuff has animated episodes, and they've only just started adding um, animated episodes to BritBox. Um, the Wheel in Space story just got added, um, and that's got two complete episodes and four of the Telesnap reconstructions, oh, official Telesnap reconstructions. <laughs> so I watched that. Um, last week, right before I watched this, um, so <laughs> I went, I went on BritBox to watch this and saw the wheel in space and went, Ooh, Cybermen and started watching you, you that. You got instead. on BritBox um, to watch this and you were like, Oh, goody. <laughs> oh, goody. The wheel in space. Cybermen. My kinsfolk. <laughs> or not. Um, Anyway, let's come back to the time monster. We're way <laughs> off topic now. We've been talking about Atlantis and the wheel in space. And, well, hey, I was talking um, about Atlantis. Let's, let's come back. I wasn't meaning for that to veer off into Second Doctor's timeline. So. <laughs> right. Well, well, we'll we'll come back here. Um, so the master, the master has redone his calculations now in order to figure out what he needs to do in order to bring Kronos through. Um, and he thinks he's figured it out, so he tricks Benton out of the laboratory, who's standing guard over Tom Tit, um, which I just kind of like saying because it's so bizarre and weird. Um, weird. <laughs> <laughs> although, although Benton isn't exactly tricked because it's the oldest trick in the book to fake a call from the brigadier in order to pull him away from the lab so the master get inside. So he leaves a window open. <laughs> And comes back into the laboratory when the master shows up. Uh, however, the master is able to go, you know, he's there with his hands up and Benton's got a gun on him. And he goes, all right, Sergeant Benton, I see you've won. Oh, hello, doctor. And Benton <laughs> goes to look over his shoulder and the master grabs the gun, you know, knocks it out of Benton's hand, shoves him into, uh, you know, cabinet and knocks him out. Uh, and the master's like, no, Sergeant Benton, that is the oldest trick in the book. Right? Like, like he's insulted. <laughs> like he's insulted. Um, so. Yeah, because, you know, because Benton, uh, Benton then, really rubs it in yeah. to, to the master, you know, uh, that, that he pulled the oldest trick on in the book on the master, you know, and then master is like, yeah, I got the last word, you know. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um <laughs> and so with Benton knocked out, the master activates Tom Tit and brings through time and space Crassus, the Atlantean priest of Kronos. Um, and Crassus is there so the master 
can get the secret to controlling Kronos. Uh, Benton slips out um, during this conversation to warn uh, the brigadier and all this um, while Kronos is summoned. And he comes through and kind of devours the director of the Institute um, before the master is able to subdue him using a, uh, a medallion that Crassus has um, and puts Kronos into the crystal that summoned him uh, until he is required. Um, and, and we get a lot of the master saying, you will obey me. You will obey me. He says that a lot <laughs> to Kronos, to Crassus, to anybody who he talks to. Um, obey is his word of the week for this he episode. He said that a lot in our last episode we talked about, and he also said that a lot in the Daemons. So, yeah. That is true. <laughs> um, he, he, he likes people to obey him. Um, the The unfortunate thing is that Nobody can really get to um, the master during this period because of the time distortion. The time distortion, however, uh, reverses Stu's, uh, Stuart's aging process, and he returns to 25, which is nice. Um, but the doctor decides he needs to try and disrupt things a little bit by uh, cobbling together out of random junk uh, what he calls a time flow analog, which everyone... in particularly the Brigadier, uh, do not believe will actually work, uh, which it doesn't until he sets a cup of tea on top of it, and then it does. And you're like, what? Why is... How is that supposed to work? <laughs> but apparently it does for a little bit, and the signal is jammed uh, just long enough and then until the Master is able to counteract it and blow up his little wine bottle fork thingamajigger. Uh, that's supposed to <laughs> be a jammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. I think um, it was funny. It blew up in the doctor's face. You almost expected it to uh, leave a black mark on his face. You know, like he has before when it, something blew up in his face. <laughs> and he goes, "Well, it was right. fun while it lasted." You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> and and everyone's just staring at him like, "Is this even really working?" You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Until it blows up in his face. Um, what? Oh, I, I missed something though. Is that um, we cut back to Atlantis, um, where we are introduced to two more characters who will be uh, become more prominent as the uh, the story goes on. Uh, Hippias, who is uh, essentially uh, like apprentice to the high priest Crassus, um, and uh, part of the the palace uh, scene. And Lord Dalius, who is king of Atlantis at this time. Um, and Hippias asks Lord Dalius if the time has come for Kronos to return at last. And Dalius is like, no, I hope not. Because when he was here last time, it was really bad. While we were prosperous, we were also slaves, you know. Um, and he says that he witnessed it. And uh, Hippias is like, but that was 500 years ago. And Dalius is like, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> And See, this is where I'm going to say something. something. Else. That's something else that I thought was interesting. Go ahead and say what you were going to say. <clears throat> uh, well, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you say this first because I'm going to go on a, on a little bit of a different tangent with this. So go ahead and, and well, say we, your piece we, first. we may be thinking along the same lines. I don't know. Um, I th when 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 this no. went down, 
I thought it would have been interesting for us to have found out that this character was actually a Time Lord who had chosen to live there um, just to kind of separate himself from Gallifrey. And I thought that would have been really interesting to have seen that be a thing, you know, uh, for him to, to have lived that long because he is a Time Lord. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I got the idea that he had lived that long because he had been exposed to the the time energy with the Kronos crystal and all that for so long. Like, that has sort of extended his life unnaturally mm-hmm. for all these centuries. Uh, because he talks about, with Hippias, about how the piece, how the crystal that was, um, you know, in the temple that Crassus was dealing with and the Master is dealing with is actually only just a part of the full crystal mm-hmm. um, that controls Kronos. And that, you know, which is, of course, guarded by a horrible creature in the, you know, this labyrinth, basically, which gives you an idea of what this horrible creature is. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I want to bring up here is the Atlanteans all overact, like, to a ridiculous <laughs> degree. Never! And I don't know if that's a, a if that's a choice that was a, like a directorial choice to sort of differentiate them, but it's like seriously over the top with everyone from Atlantis. Like I, I don't know what's going on, and it's driving me nuts half the time because they're just like, oh, this is such a terrible thing, and I'm like, yeah, it is, but you don't have to be so hyper melodramatic about it. Um, so I, I don't know if that was a directorial choice or if they just sort of all went there. I'm thinking it was directorial because they're all doing right. it. Right. <laughs> but um, now, I'll be the, honest the high with you. Priest who comes through. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I was I was yeah, less irritated by that than I was by some of the wigs that some of these people were wearing. <laughs> 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 well, the, some of those are pretty bad too. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, hippie. <laughs> Hippias just, oh, Hippias, his wig is terrible, his eyeliner is atrocious, and he looks extremely uncomfortable every time he's on screen. That's that's the guy with the black hair, I feel sorry hair, for the right? guy. Yeah. Yeah, the black hair. He, he, yeah, the, the young guy. He looks guy. like somebody gave Cousin uh, It He just a looks mullet. like he's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> kind of. But he just, he looks uncomfortable. He looks like the wig is like stabbing into his head. And he's really <laughs> embarrassed about his eyeliner. And he's constipated. He, all of that looks to be going on oh. at the same time with Hippias, whenever he's on screen. Um, and uh, he's the more mellow of all the Atlanteans. But he's always like looking around like, I don't really want to be here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, uh, for all his his overacting hyperbole, the actor who plays Dalius is fully into character. Like this is he is fully committed, right, <laughs> to being King Dalius. He is fully committed, <laughs> my son, and he's going to do this because oh. this is King Dalius. <laughs> And he is throwing himself completely 127% into that. <laughs> I don't know where the 27% came from, but yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> so I, I, th- that's one of my issues with this story is is the Atlanteans. That the some of it's not <laughs> terrible, but it just when the scene gets longer and longer and they keep going more and more, like it's not necessarily that it's overacted. It's just overacted the entire time. And it just sort of stays up at this high level of like high dramatic, like over dramaticness. And it doesn't vary. Everyone's just like, Oh, the whole time. And I'm like, okay, you can modulate that just a little bit up and down just a bit. Sometimes. Um, there's, so that's, that's the one thing that really grinds my gears with this episode, this story. Uh, but I, you know, thankfully the Atlanteans aren't the focus, you know, for, you know, a, a large chunk of this. So, but I, I did notice that and it did drive me just a little bonkers from time to time. And that could be because I'm, I, I'm a bit of an actor and I've been on stage and I went to school for it. So I'm like, seriously, folks. Well, sometimes over the top it down can, a notch. can have a, a, a purpose, you know, but then there's other times where you, you sit there and you go, really? Really? <laughs> right. And, and, and this is, and I, I sort of alluded to this at the beginning of the episode that the master is just over the top bonkers. In this in this story, like he's lost his mind, like over the top, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Roger Delgado is brilliant in this story. I, he's probably yeah. you know he he might be my favorite character in this story. Uh, well, <laughs> Sergeant Benton is my favorite character in this story. The master <laughs> being number two. Um, <laughs> oh, um, there's a nice little rivalry that forms between the two of them in this episode, and it's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but. But the master is over the top in a way that works. The Atlanteans, not so much. <laughs> so, anyway, oh. I'm not going to say too much more about that um, until later. So, uh, do you have anything else to say about that sort of thing before we we move on? Not at the moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So the master uh, is getting ready to finish up with the Tom Tit. And make his way back to Atlantis in order to assume full control over Kronos because he's learned from Crassus that he needs the rest of the crystal. Uh, that is when Captain Yates, who has been summoned by the Brigadier, uh, shows up with the unit forces. Um, the Master uses a little device that he's, I guess, wired into Tom Tit uh, on his little <laughs> wristwatch with a screen his on it. Wristwatch. Um, to... Yes, to uh, bring soldiers from various times and places to delay the unit soldiers. So uh, we get a medieval knight who charges them with, you know, a jousting spear. Uh, we get a troop of roundheads from <laughs> one of the, the British wars. Um, and then finally, a, a German uh, bomber, bomber yeah. to drop a nice little bomb on them. All right. Now, I, um, your opinion on this. Okay. Did you... Did you like this part of it? Did you like how this kind of played off of all the different things that the master was throwing at them? Or, yes. or were you, were you yes. one of those guys that were like, really? Really? <laughs> no, no. I, I like this. I like this. Because you have someone in the middle of it all, right. um, that being Captain Yates, just going, yeah, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's happening. So, so he's, <laughs> and he keeps, you know, radioing. 
he keeps radioing the, the brigadier about what's going on, and the brigadier's like, Yates, stop fooling with me. I'm not, sir. This is actually here. He's kind of like you know? the voice of the audience. You know, he's going, okay, this is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. This is ridiculous. We have a guy in a red and white checkered, you know, getup, oh. riding a horse with a jousting spear, heading down the road at us. And he's not moving, so we're going to have to go around him and get our trucks stuck in the grass. Um, and then the roundheads show up with their cannon, <laughs> like an old like cannon on wagon wheels with a cannonball, that sort of thing. Um, and while they're fighting them, uh, we get the, the the bomber that comes by. Right. Um, and, and he keeps reporting this back to the brigadier. And it's just – it's kind of goofy, but it works for me. Um, especially because the master's like, aha, and I'll throw this at them and all this, you know, and Crassus is just like, oh, truly you are the Lord of Time and all that fun stuff. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, thankfully though, the bomb misses, uh, just enough so that nobody gets too seriously hurt except for one guy who's sitting like in the edge of the bomb crater. With you know his face completely blackened by the the ash and everything, just sort of blinking, and a farmer who, from and a nearby farmer walks up and goes, "Hey, that doesn't look good, too good, does it?" <laughs> so, uh, yes, hey, British ways and having someone come walk up and state the obvious. Isn't this the location where that bomb fell twenty something years ago? You <laughs> know, right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> During the war? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's what happened. And and the guy in sitting at the edge of the crater just sort of like turns his head and looks up at him like that doesn't help me in this situation here at all. Really? Really, dude? Really? <laughs> really? You gonna you gonna give me that history lesson there? Thanks, bud. Um the doctor and the brigadier and Joe rush out to where Captain Yates are, one, to make sure they're okay, two, to collect the Doctor's TARDIS because the Doctor needs it to stop the Master from leaving. Um, he attempts to materialize his TARDIS inside the Master's TARDIS but somehow manages to set up <laughs> I guess what they call a space loop where they're inside the Master's TARDIS and the Master's TARDIS is inside his TARDIS and you could just keep going in and out Ad infinitum. It, it kind of. If you really try. What, what it made me think of is when you have two mirrors opposite one another, and you can look into one mirror and see, like where it looks like a tunnel, where you know you see the the mm. double reflection back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to to the point where it goes into infinity. Um, that's kind of where it put in yeah. my head whenever he was talking about how that was supposed to work. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or or one of those things where you know you you have two cell phones, you call one from the other, and then you say something and put them speaker to speak, you know, speaker to speaker, and have them just talk to each other, <laughs> um, except without the frequency, you know, going high like a cell phone. So you know, it just keeps going. Um, but that's you know kind of an issue, <laughs> um, and the doctor and Joe. Um, are trying to make sure the master doesn't get away, but the master seems to have the upper hand in this situation because he knows how the TARDIS works, <laughs> and the, the doctor still has his mind kind of blocked by the Time Lords because he's not supposed to 
you know, leave Earth. He's still banished to Earth. Right. Um, although I will say the the next storyline um, is the Three Doctors. So the, the season premiere for the next season is the Three Doctors, and that's when he gets his uh, sentence lifted and he's able to leave the planet and have full use of the TARDIS again. Um, well, now, he's, he was able to use it before but, as long as he didn't leave Earth, correct? He's Yeah, he can use it to move around on Earth, yeah. but he can't really move through time. Right. So he can move through space, but not time, and space is limited as long as it's within short distances. Right. Um, so uh, the, the Doctor's TARDIS gets ejected by the Master's TARDIS, um, and the Doctor seems to be flung out into the vortex um, by the Master. Um, now I will say this. Here. Or am I skipping ahead? I don't. I will know. say this. Um, the two things that are about to happen here, back to back, I kind of saw this coming. Once the 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 doctor had been kicked out into the vortex, um, because and and, mm-hmm. and and I don't mean that to sound like oh it's just completely predictable, but. When the when the master turned around and then evicted Joe in the TARDIS, that made me immediately yeah. that made me immediately think if he had not done that, the Doctor would still be stuck. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, true. So yeah, so here I, I figured out exactly what happened. The master releases Kronos to get rid of the Doctor, and Kronos is what sends the Doctor into the Time Vortex, and then the Master ejects the Doctor's TARDIS with Joe, Joe inside out into the Vortex uh, because she doesn't want to go on anymore. You know, she doesn't care anymore. Um, but now she can hear the Doctor whispering to her and, uh, you know, talking to her through uh, the TARDIS. The TARDIS is relaying his thoughts to Joe, and he's able to. she's able to follow his instructions and use the TARDIS to uh, pull the Doctor out of the vortex and back into the control console. See, now this is um, something else too that I... this is an episode also where the... Go ahead. Yeah, this is an episode where the Doctor and Joe really start exploring the idea that the TARDIS is sentient. Right, right. That's what I was going to say. Um, this And that was and that was something this that was, was where yeah, This is where we get more in-depth into that. I mean, it was kind of alluded to in a couple of places, you know, kind of, just kind of, you know, playfully, you know, toyed Offhand. with. You know, as if it was just a nonchalant comment mm-hmm. or whatever. But this is really where we start getting that first in-depth discussion about the the TARDIS actually being a living thing. And and I really, right. I I didn't really realize how many firsts were in the Third Doctor era. You know, um, but I'm starting to see yeah. more and more and more of that. And and I think it's really cool. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of stuff that's set up with the Third Doctor that carries forward um, that we just sort of assume uh, to be the, you know, natural nowadays. Um, and this is one of those things uh, where we, you know, the t- idea that the, tardi- the TARDIS is sentient or at least somewhat sentient. Um, and obviously we have the, uh, the episode with the 11th doctor uh, where the essence of the TARDIS is put into a person right. um, and he's able to go on an adventure with the, the TARDIS essence, um, which was, which is a fun episode. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, we really start exploring the idea that the TARDIS is more than just a machine. Um, and Joe finds it fascinating. So, um, the master makes a big splash, you know, showing up at Atlantis. Ha 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 
pun. Um, <laughs> sorry. But um, don't. I'm becoming. I am becoming my father. Um, <laughs> I, so, I hate to uh, um, the master arrives. You, but we all do. <laughs> oh, thank you. I needed that. So yeah, the master shows up, bringing Crassus with him. Crassus convinces the Atlantean people that he's seen Kronos and that the master is in charge of Kronos and is, you know, helping to bring Kronos back to them. Um, queen Galea, who is a much younger queen than King Dalios, seems intrigued <laughs> by the master and finds him fascinating and probably alluring. Um, and quite tempting. <laughs> the doctor... Yes, quite tempting, which is awkward. Um, she says but the doctor she says is able that to just looking you know, at his face. Tardis, he looks like he's a powerful person. So, yes, yes, that's true. It's the goatee. Uh, that's what it is. Um, the doctor shows up in Atlantis. His TARDIS, uh, you know, basically following the trajectory of the Master's TARDIS uh, to materialize in Atlantis, um, and the doctor and Joe are captured by Hippias and Crassus and taken to the king. Um, the master tries to take over Atlantis the old-fashioned way by hypnotizing the king into stepping aside, but Dalios just sort of laughs at him and says, oh, what a simple trick you have there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's sent away. Um, <laughs> and so that he can, you know, have an audience with the doctor and Joe. Um Although Queen Galea uh, tries to have an audience with the master. So there's some palace politics going on here. Um, the doctor and Joe uh, convince uh, Dalios um, that the master is not there for altruistic reasons. Um, and the king asks for the doctor's help to save Atlantis. Um Joe manages to eavesdrop on Galea and the Master having a conversation about getting the crystal uh, from the vaults uh, in order to control Kronos and unleash him upon Atlantis. Um, and Galea sends Hippias to retrieve the crystal because Hippias uh, and Galea apparently had a thing and Galea doesn't think he's going to be anything powerful so she's tossed him aside. And so he'll do anything to get back into her good graces. Um, and so she sends him to this maze to get the crystal uh, and to try and avoid the Minotaur. Yeah. Um, and Joe follows him him into the, the maze. Uh, so, okay, do yeah. Okay, do you want to talk about the Minotaur? Which, by the way, the, well, the Minotaur is played by Dave Prowse. Really? Did A.K.A. Not know Darth that. Vader. I did not know the that. The body of Darth Vader. Yes. Yes. That's... So there's our Star Wars reference, and we didn't even have to go and make one up um, it's in the episode. pretty fantastic. Um, so... Yes. Um, um, what did you think about the way... So what way, did you want to talk what about did, the Minotaur? What did you think about the way the Minotaur looked in this? Um. Okay. Not the greatest Minotaur, but it looked more believable than Hippias' wig. <laughs> Very um, much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of wish there was a little bit more bull to it than just sort of like the head. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, take what you can get on a low budget BBC <laughs> sci-fi 
show well, from the 70s. I didn't think that the head looked bad. <laughs> I thought that the head looked pretty good. The only thing that I no. wish that we had been able to see is some type of facial movement in the head, you know, whether it be the eyes or the mouth or whatever. Right. Um, and I know that, that budgetary restraints probably kept that from happening. But um, I just I thought that it was good enough for what they needed it to be. Um, of course, obviously, yeah. in, in New Who, they revisit the idea of the Minotaur. But I don't think it was intended to be the same Minotaur. I think it was, you know, no, a, no, no. a different thing altogether. Um, but no, I thought that it was pretty well done. The, I actually had more of a hang up with the little comedy uh thing that they threw in there with the doctor facing off against the Minotaur. Um. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, bullfighting? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I didn't know whether to laugh or smack myself on the forehead, you know. Um, <laughs> it, was <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those moments where you're going, okay, I was following you up until this point, and now you've just kind of covered everything in cheese. So... <laughs> well it was sort of necessary because you know the minotaur races past and crashes into a wall that reveals the hidden chamber where the crystal is being kept so kind of necessary but they could have found another way to do it yeah so oh man um (laughs) but this crystal is there and the doctor and joe are going to take it um, and do something with it, but uh, Crassus has followed in and takes the crystal and has the Doctor and Joe arrested. Um, the Doctor demands to be taken to the king, but is taken to the master, who has taken over the court with Galea's help. Um, the Doctor and Joe are thrown in prison, and Dalius is brought to their cell to uh, be there with him. He has been captured, and his... Uh, life finally comes to an end there in the cell. He dies in the Doctor and Joe's arms. Uh, and Galea agreed to help the Master as long as Dalios was unharmed. Yeah. And so there's something that's going to cause an See, issue. Dal- Dalia, um, <laughs> Dalia was actually another aspect of the whole girl power thing, too, though, because she turned yes. on her king because she wanted to be the main ruler. And so there, that was another aspect of that. And then she was the the actual uh, ruler when she found out the king was dead and turned on the master. Yes. So, you know, that that theme just keeps going through this, this story arc, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So the doctor and Joe are brought out to witness the return of Kronos because the master and Crassus are about to summon Kronos, um, and that's when they spring the news on Galea. Oh, by the way, yeah, King Dalius is dead. And that's when she turns on the master and asserts her control. It's her kingdom, not right. his. And she tries to arrest the master, but the master and Crassus summon Kronos, um, who causes havoc, and the master orders Kronos to destroy Atlantis. Right. Um, Joe is taken by the master as uh, insurance as he escapes into his TARDIS and the doctor uh, returns to his TARDIS to chase after them. Then we get an interesting situation here. Um, 
the doctor had mentioned earlier to Joe the possibility of uh, what he called the time ram in order to stop the master. And he didn't want to do it because it was going to be a sort of a last resort kind of thing because that causes what the time ram does is it causes both TARDISes to um, exist in the same exact place and same exact time in space, which is, of course, not something two different objects can, can do. And uh, mutual destruction would occur. Right. Um, the <laughs> the doctor pleads with the master first to release Joe and you know put a stop to all of this, and the master calls his you know says no, and so the doctor threatens to do the time ram. The master calls his bluff because the doctor is about to do it, but can't because Joe right. is on the master's TARDIS, and that's when Joe jumps into action and takes control of the master's controls in order to initiate the time ram. And here we go with Joe showing girl power now. <laughs> yes. She's willing to she's the one willing to, you know, do the ultimate sacrifice right. and not the doctor. And so she's the one who initiates it. Um thankfully though Kronos inter- intervenes because Kronos has finally been released from the master's control and uh takes both TARDISes to sort of a place outside of time. Right. Joe's like, well, we're dead, but we're in heaven. And the doctor's like, I don't think so. Um, and that's when the face of Kronos appears above the TARDISes. Uh, she's grateful for the doctor's help and plans to keep the master there to torment him for all eternity. Um, and, you know, send the doctor and Joe back. Uh, the doctor asks her to take the master um, as one act, you know, one last request, she agrees. Um, and the master goes, Oh, thank you. Thank you, doctor. I so appreciate it. Um, and they're all starting to head back towards the doctor's TARDIS when the master makes a quick dash for his own TARDIS and escapes. And the doctor's like, Kronos, stop him. Stop him. And Kronos is like, You asked for his freedom. He is free. So, you know, Kronos isn't really on anybody's side except right. its own. Kronos is the last example um, of girl power in this. So, <laughs> right, Kronos becomes a girl, yeah, <laughs> rather than you know a flapping bird Spartan okay. thing. <sighs> that um, was honestly that was probably what took me out of this story arc the most was the white uh, paper crane looking version of Kronos that was in this thing uh, because yeah. it was just such a departure from everything else that we got in this. Everything else felt pretty much like it was grounded in reality for the most part, except for that. You know what I'm saying? And that felt yeah. completely different from everything else that we got in that. And, 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 and I was like, Oh, Hey, okay, uh, I, I don't know how to feel about that. You know? Um, and so if I had to criticize anything, that would probably be my biggest criticism of what I saw in this story arc, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, the uh, I, I didn't have too much of an issue. It was a little bit – the design was a little funny looking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I The idea, you know, the pure white of it with, you know, the, the light reflecting off of it right. in a way that was really kind of um, odd – uh, sort of gave me the idea that, you know, this is something that's supposed to be outside of time, you know, uh, being outside of time, you know, right. space and not naturally in this dimension, uh, which is, I think, the idea they were going for. And I, I kind of got that. 
it wasn't something that I thought the execution was pulled off great. Right. But I understood what they were going for, and I kind of just went with it. Um, the design was what you know, you know, I thought was funny more than more often than not. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was okay. No, it just great. felt like a departure from me from everything else that we were seeing in the story. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, <clears throat> it did. It did seem like a departure. Um, I will say kind of the last thing that we saw of Atlantis, though, is that there's you know a bunch of destruction everywhere. And um, Queen Galea is standing there on the, the platform sort of all alone by herself right. with her head hung, you know, in in shame for all the destruction that was caused from her, you know, greed for power. Right. She allowed so, herself to um, be uh, tempted into the destruction of her seduced. entire civilization, you know. Yeah, seduced. She allowed herself to be seduced yeah. To, to the point where she allowed the, the destruction of her entire civilization. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the, the final shot of Atlantis is probably the most um, powerful one for me because it's just her standing there on a, you know, basically a, a huge trashed empty set by herself, you know, mm-hmm. sort of in shame. And I was like, that was kind of the most realistic thing that we got out of the Atlantis stuff. Um, and I, I will, I do want to highlight that. It was pretty good. Um, but, um, we return back to our own time and place where everything went haywire in the master's departure. Uh, Tom Tit just went nuts. Uh, unit is frozen outside. Um, Benton was touching the machine when it went off and got regressed into a baby. Um, (laughs) and Dr. Ingram and Stuart are trying to figure out how to fix everything. Including Benton. (laughs) So yes, we, yes. So we come back to the lab where Stuart is feeding baby Benton (laughs) while Dr. Ingram is working on Tom Tit. Um, the TARDIS lands back, you know, in the Institute there. And because the crystal has been destroyed, thing, you know, Tom Tit is now starting to wind down, is starting to shut down, and things begin to go back to normal. <laughs> um, the machine finally releases everything, it overloads, um, and the master is long gone. Uh, <laughs> we get sort of the wrap up with the brigadier, um, asking why Joe is dressed up in such strange garb. Right? She's, you know, dressed like Atlantean now. <laughs> Um, which to his point of view happened within a matter of moments, you know, because he went out to get Captain Yates and returned to the Institute (laughs) and everything's been frozen for them for all this time. (sighs) And she's gone from her normal getup to Atlantean garb. Um, and then Stuart goes, Oh no, we forgot about the baby. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, and he goes. The, the brigadier oh, asks where where right. Ben, The brigadier asks where the devil Benton is. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Where's the devil Sergeant Benton? <laughs> oh no, we forgot about the baby. And they go look over in the corner, and there's just a pile of clothes. And they go, uh oh. And then Benton stands up from behind the Tom Tit machine, <laughs> butt naked, back to his original age. He goes. In a very sort of like, I'm trying not to freak out uh, way, he says, can someone please tell me what's going on here? And that's where the episode ends. 
he has this really awkward grin on his face. It's so funny. <laughs> like, I'm trying to be professional, but I don't know where my clothes are. And everyone else is standing around in the room here. I have no idea what just happened. Why is everyone standing in a circle He's around trying the way to I'm not on the floor naked? <laughs> Get right? <gasps> oh. <laughs> so, there you go. Poor, time poor Benton, man. Every, Benton everything is not happens time. to Benton. I know, poor Benton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's his lot in life. Um, I I love Sergeant Benton so much. He's so great. And uh, the actor, John Lu- <laughs> Yes, <laughs> he's made to suffer. It's his lot in life. Um, and the actor, John Levine, was perfectly cast for Sergeant <laughs> Benton, I have to say. So it's... Uh, Benton is so great. And the fact that he and the master had this sort of, you know, beef together this episode was great. Um, <laughs> Paul, uh, why don't we begin wrapping this up? What, what sort of final thoughts you have on the time monster here? Oh, the time monster. I, I really enjoyed the story um, more than I, well, especially more than I did. Um, the, this, the, the effects <laughs> and everything in this were, uh, much more believable. Uh, the, like I said, the only thing that really took me out of it, other than like like some of the funky looking wigs and stuff, um, the only thing that really took me out of it was the appearance of the white version of Kronos. Um, because it was, like I said, it was just such and a Thankfully, de- there weren't departure. too many appearances. You know. Um, yeah, thankfully, there weren't too many de- appearances of Kronos in right. that form. So but, um, they kept that to a minimum. But I liked the way that it, it kind of felt like it was grounded in reality for the most part. Um, and, 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 mm-hmm. and it was, it, it felt like it was shot, you know, kind of in real life as opposed to just having it like on a set per se. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that. I, I kind of, um, I kind of liked the way that it felt like that, that it kind of happened in real life. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, real life was what was kind of affected by all of it. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm I I like this story. Um, the story idea was uh, was pretty good. There were some moments um, that drug a little bit, um, I, but I think overall, story filled the six episodes fairly well. Right. Um, you know, it, it was like they had a little bit too much. For five episodes, but not quite enough for six when they got it all blocked out initially and they kind of had to stretch a few things. Um, so it, it, this actually, you know, fits the six episodes, um, better than most of the, the ones that we watched recently. Right. Um, so I will give it credit there. Um, there's a few things that, I, you know, were kind of bizarre. The execution of, of some of the stuff didn't quite live up to the idea that the story was going for. Um, and again, the, the overacting of the entire Atlantean stuff, uh, started to just get on my nerves just a little bit. It wasn't like, it wasn't enough that I was, you know, getting cut out of it, kind of cut out of the episode, right. but I was noticing it like all the time. And I was like, okay, okay, just cool it. Just to bring it down just a little bit, please. You know, so, um, <laughs> and thankfully, you know, it, thankfully, most of the scenes until we actually got to Atlantis weren't too long. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the few things that I can really say is a, you know, criticism I, I really have of this episode. So, um, I liked it overall. It's, it's not, 
um, going to be my favorite, but there's some stuff in here that I think is great. Uh, you know, the, the stuff with, you know, learning more about the TARDIS being sentient. Right. The master is, this is like Roger Delgado at his absolute demented finest. I know, right? You know, he's like <laughs> over the top. He's over the top. Everyone must obey him. And you this, will and that is, you know, me. Do, you, know <laughs> you will obey me. You will obey me. No, Sergeant Benton. That is the oldest trick in the book. Um, and then having unit back made me very happy. So, uh, overall, this is a definitely a plus episode for me. Um, what should we rate this, Paul? What should we use to rate this story? I'm going to give it Baby Bentons. Yeah. Yeah. Baby Bentons. Should we, should, should we use baby baby bentons <laughs> <laughs> um how many baby bentons are you going to rate the time monster i'm gonna give it a seven i'm gonna give it a seven okay that's a pretty solid solid number um i'm gonna give it a seven as well uh you know the reasons i've already stated so it's 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 a good episode um it's on BritBox, so if you have the time and you thought it was interesting enough listening to us talk about it, go watch it. Um, if nothing else, then just to see Baby Benton <laughs> and what happens to Sergeant Benton at the very end. Because it's funny and it's great. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a good episode. I, and it's, I think, one of the rarer stories because um, it's not really available anywhere online on DVD because it's so expensive. Um and so when they added it to BritBox, I was very happy and very excited because I'd never seen it before. So, um, As well so you yeah. should be. Be sure to check it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, folks, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we are getting back into the swing of things after our unexpected hiatus. Thank you for your patience with us. Um, but please... Get back in contact with us. Start, you know, talking on our Facebook and our social media again. Facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. There's links to our group page on our Facebook page, which is where we're going to start, you know, picking up some of the discussion again. If you have thoughts on the Time Monster, leave them there for us. We'd love to talk to you about them on the Facebook page. Or you can tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. If you forget any of those links, you can go to our website, which is TalkingTimeLords.com. We'll have all of that there, as well as links to all of our previously released episodes with the awesome artwork that Paul makes. So be sure to check that out. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which is what iTunes is now called yes. for the podcasting department. Um, <laughs> and as well as Stitcher and wherever else you find our lovely little podcast. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, we really would. Did I forget anything? No, I think we hit everything. I'm going to go take a nap. Okay. Mm, that sounds like a good idea (laughs) all right well thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of talking time lords this has been episode number 82 the time monster for paul i'm jason and remember until next time may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams (laughs) thanks everybody
You will obey me. I know, me. right? <laughs> you will obey me. <sighs> you will obey me, Kronos. <laughs> I am the master. I love how his reason why you should obey him is because he's the master. <laughs> yeah, no other no other legitimate reason. It's just, I am the master. You will obey me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he he has no uh, no pride or anything, you know. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Oh. <laughs>